From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. On last week's show, we welcomed in the start of a new softball season with Tim Walton. And today, we'll shift our focus to the larger diamond by hearing from Gator baseball head coach Kevin O'Sullivan as his squad prepares to take the field for the first time. That's coming up later. But first, let's get you caught up on what's happening around the rest of the Gator Nation with FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter. It was another banner week for men's basketball, who are currently riding a seven-game winning streak and breaking records left and right. But the Gators got some rough news on Wednesday with the announcement that Johnny Boone would miss the rest of the season after suffering a torn ACL against Auburn. In a conversation recorded shortly before that news broke, we began our roundtable by getting Chris's impressions on the week that was. Well, the takeaway from Tuesday night was I thought I was at an ABA game from the 70s. When you consider the up-and-down nature of that game, the points that were scored, uh, you know, what was the final score? 114-95, you know, in a 40-minute game. It's kind uh, of game Kenyon Berry's dad, Ricky. <laughs> that's right. Virginia Squires <laughs> yes. from the old ABA. Um, you go on the road in the in the Southeastern Conference, and you, you expect a, a, a difficult game, and... Um, Auburn is a team that is really, really talented offensively. They're very young. They start four freshmen, but all, you know a lot of those guys were marquee uh, prospects, marquee recruits that Bruce Pearl was able to get there. But Florida is a veteran team, and you know they've gone into hostile environments before, and they understand you got to weather adversity. And nine seconds or whatever it was, fifteen seconds into the game, first shot of the game, Devin Robinson fouls the three-point shooter. He makes it. You know the guy makes free throw. It's it's four nothing, and Auburn's a little jacked up, and they had an eight-point lead in the first half. And the way the scouting report Adam was presented to Florida, is these guys are going to score some points. Um, they're also going to get frustrated when they don't. And so that eventually did happen, and Florida went on an 11-point run. It was 50-50 at halftime, and they scored the first nine of the second half. And it was just impressive how they kind of handled that. Uh, Canningberry obviously had a great game, his best game probably at Florida, um, when you think about it, uh, 30 points. He was good inside out. He had his three-point shot going. He, what really helped him, I think, was he really got he got to the free throw line early. That kind of got him into mm-hmm. some kind of a scoring rhythm. He was frustrating the Auburn players in dr- the way he was drawing fouls. But then again, you know, in a game where there were 53 fouls called and 81 <laughs> free throw shot, wow. it was something. It was just a bizarre game, nature of the kind of tempo it was, stopping and starting and Still a lot of points scored. But again, uh, Florida escaped, if you will, with a 19-point win. Now, they during the seven-game winning streak, six of the games by double figures. I think their average margin of victory now in that time is 24-some points. Wow. Obviously, the big concern is uh, John Igbunu. Uh, you know, he hurt his knee. That's a really difficult situation to have to deal with because Gorjak Gak hurt his foot and he wasn't going to play anyway, and you're really, really stressing your uh, depth in the post position. That's the concern of the, uh, the Florida program, but at the same time, 21-5, and 11-2 uh, in the league, tied with Kentucky, you know, in a really good place as far as that goes. Well, my thoughts after that game, I read Chris's story, and Mike White said it best. <laughs> that was unlike any game they've won since he's been here, and mm-hmm. it's true. And You know, you look at these last two games, both of them had a really strange rhythm to them, mm-hmm. and... Uh, they won both of them. The Texas A&M game was obviously a polar opposite than the Auburn win. Uh, Auburn high-scoring game. Texas A&M was a grinder game. But 
again, that just shows you kind of the development and really how this team has responded to those two losses earlier in the year. But it all goes back to what Chris said. The mood right now is about John and Buno because that is a big difference maker for them, especially in the postseason when, you know, when it does get more physical and a lot of these games are going to be grind-out games. and you need, you need at least some presence down there. So we'll see how that shakes out. But can't argue with the way they're playing and winning right now. They're winning a lot of different ways, and that's a sign of a good team. Well, it's, during the first six games of the winning streak, the six different uh, leading scorers, and the, this was the first repeat leading scorer with Canyonbury with the 30, but you know, six guys in double figures. Uh, Kayvon Allen had 17 points. I think they were all in the last 15 minutes of the game. <laughs> um, Scott made the point that I made in the story. You know, this this doesn't happen last year. That team's not scoring 114 last year. That team struggled to score at times, struggled to score from the free throw line last season, and they're 37 of 42 in the game. So mm-hmm. they've worked on a lot of things. Uh, they have a lot of different uh, weapons going for them. When they're at their best, they're really, really good. I watched the replay uh, of the game. John Sunbull was saying they're, they're playing like one of the top eight teams in the country. You make the point that a year ago they probably don't go out there and score 114 points. because Or 106 was, a couple weeks ago. Or, so. Right, or maybe 100 <laughs> on yeah, a given night. Yeah. But having said that, the only real difference with this team is Canyonberry. So how do you explain such a difference from last year to this year in terms of scoring the basketball? Well, I think there's bigger and tangible differences as far as uh, the buy-in, the players with the coaching staff, with the mm. system, what he wants from them. I mean, uh, they were a pretty good defensive teams at times last year that would get too caught up in the fact that they weren't scoring and then that would bleed into not being a good defensive team. They know now that they have to be a good defensive team to win games. Um, they have all the tools to be a really, really good defensive team, to be a great defensive team. And uh, it's funny, uh, they gave up 95 points, and yet it was a game with a lot of possessions, a lot of fouls called and what have you. And they still held uh, Auburn below its uh, field goal percentage for the season. They held Auburn well below their three-point shooting percentage for the season. They, Auburn scored more points than they normally do, but that was the nature of the, of the mm-hmm. up-and-down game. So it's all about what they do on defense. And another difference... Uh, Justin Leon wasn't the uh, the three point sure. uh, threat that he's become now, and that's and he was a bad free throw shooter last year, and now he's in the seventies, and he's one of their better three point shooters. So uh, they've worked to become a better offensive team, and they're being rewarded for it on the floor. And it seems like they also too are finding different ways to win and growing because of that, because as their stature increases and they keep going up in the rankings. They're getting every team's best shot, and all of a sudden playing Florida is becoming a really big deal. So it's testing them in a lot of different ways, and they've continued to pass those tests in different ways. Well, Scott made the point. I mean, the, the last two games, the Texas A&M game Saturday and the, and the Auburn game uh, Tuesday night were two totally opposite games. One was mm-hmm. a grinding, one was a up and down, and Florida you know, morphed into whatever they had to be to win the game. Texas A&M, Johnny Bunu had his best game of the season. He had a double-double, and he was able to bang around with some, a really, really big team. Uh, Auburn's not a really, really big team. They're just a really fast team and a team that likes to freewheel it a little bit. And they seem pretty comfortable, the Gators did, playing in that system. So it's 11-2, and two, um, going to Mississippi State Saturday. Next week is the big week. South Carolina at home, Kentucky on the road. That Those two games obviously will determine who's going to win the SEC championship this year. So basketball is at the forefront right now, but there's a ton of other things going on as well. This is that part of the calendar where it starts to get incredibly complicated. Who's going where? between the two of you guys who's covering what. So, Scott, give us a rundown of, of what all is going on right now. Well, this weekend it's really peaking at them. I mean, first of all, you got the baseball season opener Friday night. They're playing uh, William & Mary, and, you know, William & Mary's a team that knocked out Virginia in the postseason last year. Remember, Virginia won the 2015 College World Series by the beating the Gators. Yeah. So, I mean, Kevin O'Sullivan and his staff has a lot of respect for this team. But uh, the storyline for Florida baseball 
is going to be that starting pitching staff. You're going to see it this weekend, you know, starting with Alex Fado, then Brady Singer and Jackson Coar. There's no really other program in the country can line up three starting mm-hmm. pitchers like that, all in the mid-90s and above, all projected high draft picks uh, when it's their time. Uh, so, you know, that's that's going to be huge to finally get to see those guys and get out there. And uh, then you got the uh, softball team, they're a home opener, and what, they moved up to number one in the polls number after... Yeah, after going, what, 5-0 and in Tampa and kind of making it look easy. They're always number one in the country. They always, <laughs> they in the first two weeks of the year, they always end up number one in the country. Yeah, but the but, big one was over Michigan. They knocked right. off Michigan yeah, and Tampa. a team that they've uh, seen in the College World Series in mm-hmm. recent years. And, you know, Tim Walton, you know, he's always going to have a good team. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, getting the things going early. And uh, the pitching really looks good already. I think they have back-to-back one-hitters on Sunday mm-hmm. down in Tampa. So... Then you got the only men's golf tournament at home, the SunTrust Invitational. And, uh, you know, Sam Horsfield is one of the top college golfers in the country. He played well in this event last year. So it's a chance for the home fans to get a rare opportunity to see that team in action. And, uh, oh, yeah, there's some women's tennis right up the street from the golf course. Happens to be the women's tennis team is hosting Oklahoma State and Stanford. Is the women's tennis team any good, Scott? The women's tennis team is pretty good. They actually uh, are ranked number one. They're ranked number one. They won a national championship They they only won a national championship. National indoor title. They're going to be outdoors here this weekend. But it's funny, guys. uh, You know, Florida fans may or may not know, nine of the ten spring teams right now are ranked in the top ten. And, you know, Adam, we just talked about all the stuff going on at home right now. The men's and women's swimming teams are up in Knoxville for the SEC championships. They run through... uh, Saturday up in Knoxville, and uh, Caleb Dressel already set a, another record. The Gators won the 200 medley relay mm. uh, just championship. He re- one of his uh, splits was 17 seconds, 17.90 seconds, which only the second collegian ever to do a split in that relay that fast. So you know we we wow. know all about Caleb Dressel. He's keeping it up, and that's why at least the the UF men's team up in Knoxville is going to have a pretty good chance to to score high up there. And, uh, you know, we'll see how it turns out. Tennessee and Texas A&M are the favorite, but the Gators are right there. So just another little uh, taste of what's going on in Florida athletics right now. And finally, we always have to get a little bit of football news in here because it seems like every week there's something going on with football. So what do we have this week, Scott? This week, uh, Adam, the uh, the time for the spring game, the Orange and Blue debut, which is on April 7th. Uh, it's announced 7.30 p.m. kickoff on the SEC Network. Second year in a row they're playing that thing at night. And, if you guys remember last year, it went pretty well. They had some food trucks set up outside. I know there's going to have some other events like that this year. There's going to, have to be some kind of festival atmosphere outside. Uh, fans really seem to enjoy it, so it's another chance for that. There's a big baseball game against LSU that day, too, so a lot going on. But uh, And also, uh, you're going to be able to meet the uh, new assistant coaches, uh, Jawan Sider, Corey Bell, and uh, Brad Davis. Those guys are holding a press conference on Thursday. You know, it's the first chance that the fans will hear these guys talk about why they came to Florida, uh, what they think about the Florida program, and uh, head coach Jim Macklin, who's also going to be there to mostly discuss the the hiring of those three guys to fill out his staff. And then McElwain next week will have his, uh, you know, spring uh, practice press conference. And they start spring practice February 28th. So, wow. I mean, it's amazing here. <laughs> Football is also going to join this mix here in about, what, 10 days? Uh-huh. So, that's what we're looking at. Not only is Kevin O'Sullivan entering his 10th season at the helm of the baseball program, but he also just received a long-term extension, ensuring he'll be leading the Gators for quite some time. With that critical piece in place, 
The Gators are ready to begin another year with lofty expectations firmly in place following another trip to the College World Series. Jeff Cardozo sat down with Sully to get his thoughts on the dawn of a new season and begin by discussing what lessons they learned from the past. I don't think coaching you know, is any different than anything in life. I think you always reflect back on, on, on the positive things that happen in your life and, and, and also the negative things that happen. And I think coaching is no different. I think you know, at, the, at the end of every year, you look back and, and think about what could you have done differently to, to hopefully have had just a little bit more success towards the end of the year. And you never stop learning. Um, and I think you do. If you do have that attitude where you, you know that you think you got things figured out, I think you'll find yourself in, in a position where you're probably not going to be that successful. And I think um, I think that's one of my strengths, honestly, is I do self-evaluate. I do look back at things and I do take responsibility for you know our team's. Um, lack of success in Omaha, and, and, I, and I'm constantly trying to improve and trying to put our players in a better position to be successful. So with that in mind, obviously the expectation's high again. So when you look back on what you've changed now this offseason and get ready for this season, what are some of those things? Well, I think I've, I've tried to allow our players to have a little bit more freedom as far as leadership's concerned. We, we've done a lot of things in the fall behind the scenes to try to create more of a, a leadership-type mentality. Um, we've done some some team bonding exercises and that type of thing. And I really do believe that, you know, we, we've got two seniors in Ryan Larson and, and Frank Rubio, and we've got a handful of juniors that have a chance to be high drafts. But I think those guys collectively as a group understand and have done a really, really good job of putting their personal success behind the team success. And I think going into the season, we, we, we've got a core of older guys that we trust, and I think they're going to handle it very well. It's, it's fascinating you say that because I think as I get further and further away from the playing days, you know, you, you had the, the cockiness of being a player. And I think that a lot of the examples of the success are guys that have stepped up in the locker room or somebody that took a, a kid under their wing and, and tried to make them more successful. So when you talk about the, the Larsons of the world, the experience of now Mike and JJ, that, that has to be big as they try to teach these younger guys because it's a good mix from freshman to senior. It is. And I think I think that's one of the things we've, we've been able to do. I think it's important in our program, especially because we do have freshmen every year that come in and contribute and they need to be taught how we do things and um, there's only so much you could do as a coach you know you need guys in the locker room guys on the field that are going to be extensions of us of me Brad and Craig and Lars and be able to take the bull by the horn so to speak and, and teach these guys how we're going to do things here and like I said I think going into the season we feel as good as we possibly can about the older guys in our club and how they've handled the younger players. You had a, a lot of fun a couple of weeks ago. You did a home run derby, and I was talking to Mike Rivera before that, and he was certainly excited, ready to play somebody else and, and beating up on each other. But he does seem like someone, and, and I know we've seen it from his freshman year here, how he leads and does all those other things. How big of an asset it is to have him back there? Well, you, it's, it's like it's like any other sport. I don't think you can win in football unless you have a good quarterback. You, it's hard to win in basketball unless you have a, a point guard to take control of the court. And, you know, I think in baseball, you know, if you don't have a guy behind the plate that has that leadership bulldog mentality that can really solidify your defense and have a leadership role and, and, and is, is willing to do that, I think it's very hard to win at the highest level. And we're very fortunate to have him. But, you know, to be honest with you, we've got two other very, very capable catchers in J.J. Schwartz and, and, and Mark Colosavari. And Mark's probably one of our most improved players, and he's ended up being a pretty good draft when it's all said and done after this year. So 
We've got three really, really good catchers, and all three of them are very capable. But going back to Mike, you know, his leadership skills are just off the charts. And, and we saw with J.J. get some experience at first base as well. Is that an option now because of the way Mark's played, that, that J.J. has an option to play first as also catch? The thing about you know J.J. is he's, he's such a good baseball player. He's been around the game his whole life. He's got a really, really good baseball IQ. He comes from a baseball family. Just using that DH spot for a guy that can do a lot of different things. So he's improved a lot over there at first base, and I'm sure he'll see a, a fair amount of time over at first base this year as well. On the other side, we'll just start left to right. Jonathan India, great freshman season. Looked like he grew up quite a bit. Uh, had a nice summer as well. So I know you're really looking forward to him in his sophomore season. You're going to hear me say this a lot this year. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really high on Jonathan. I think he's got a chance to play for an awfully long time. Uh, he's got a chance to be a long-time major leaguer. I think he's one of our best hitters. I would not be surprised if he's hitting third in our lineup to start the season. He's had a really good preseason. He plays really good third base, and he's instinctual. He's one of those rare baseball players that we get at our level. You know, he's got a chance to stay in the middle of the diamond. You know, obviously, if anything, you know, ever happened to Dalton, which knock on wood, nothing happened. But if something ever happened, we would probably move Jonathan over to short. And you know, he can run. He's got power. He's got all the tools that you know that the people at the next level are looking for. So. I, w- I would expect him to have a breakout year this year. Let's talk about Dalton a little bit. Did a really nice job at shortstop. He was that guy in the lineup, too, you could always count on and do a lot of different things. And uh, I know, uh, know the experience that he got over the summer was really good as well, and that should be a fun year for him. Yeah, he's gotten stronger, you know, and obviously we know how good he is defensively. He's, I don't know if I've ever coached a better defensive shortstop, I'll be honest with you. His, his instincts are off the chart as well, and his first step quickness is phenomenal. He's got great range. There's guys that are faster than him, but I don't know if they got more range at short. He's got an accurate arm. Like I said, he's gotten stronger. He's swinging the bat good. Um, he covers the outer half of the plate much better. If we play Christian Hicks at, at first, we'll have four high school shortstops playing in the infield. Our, our defense is going to be as good as it's ever been, and we've had some really good defensive clubs, and that infield defense is, is going to be airtight, and you know, obviously it all starts with Dalton Short. And then uh, second baseman, Deacon Lippett, a, a guy that uh, you know, bat speed and the way he hits line drives is great. I know the power numbers might even pop up a little bit more this year, but you know, he, he's a guy I know just, just like India. So it could be a pretty sweet sophomore season. He's had a really good preseason as well. Stance a little different. He's upright more. He's not as crouched and as spread out, and he's got more leverage in his swing. I think he leads our team in home runs since the fall. I think he's got 10 now. He hit one the other night. Um, he's been playing re- really well as, as well, and like I said, he's another guy that played high school uh, shortstop, and it just gives you – you know, a great sense of comfort knowing that those guys are going to play great defense. Obviously, they're very good, de- you know, offensively as well. But you know, defensively, all three of those guys are just phenomenal. You know, I think about the guys that were behind me when, when I was pitching here, and just that's the way it was. When when you can trust the guys behind you, you obviously make certain pitches. So when you think about it from a from a pitcher's mentality, just the importance of the defense. Because I don't know, people are listening right now. They think, oh, it's just ho hum. You're just going to go make a routine play. But when you can get extra outs and make some of these other plays, it's pretty special. It is. I mean, I, I think that's probably the part of our game that gets noticed the least is the defensive part. But it's it's just a it's a really bad look when you don't play good defense. Yeah. It just it drags games on. It gives teams extra outs. It gives them more scoring opportunities. And I think even from my standpoint, I've taken for granted how good our defensive teams have been. And then you look back at the end of the year and go, wow, you know, we were just really really good defensively. And you look back to you know Josh Tobias. I talk about this all the time. He made, he made one error his senior year. That's that's impossible. That's unheard of. And I don't know if you'll ever see that again. But um, you know guys like Dalton and, and Jonathan and Deacon and. Christian Hicks and you know those guys it's just um, I know from my standpoint I just never take that for granted and 
you know, quite honestly, if you want to play baseball here and you want to start here, you have to be able to play defense. We don't recruit a lot of DHs. We don't have a lot of guys that can't run or do different things. We try to take pride in recruiting baseball players. First and foremost, guys that have high baseball IQ, and, you know, we've been fortunate enough to have those types of players in here. A guy that's going to be missed uh, certainly in the outfield is Buddy Reed because of his defense, what he was able to do. So I'll let you talk about the, the different outfielders. I know there, there's some options out there, even some, some young guys that can get some playing time. Well, starting out left, you know, Austin Langway looks like he'll start in left, and he's got a chance to be a really special hitter, and obviously we'll move Maldonado over to right. He's had a really good preseason. He actually, I think he's, hit, he's leading our team in hitting um, this spring. And then center field, you know, we, we've got some other options. Obviously, Ryan Larson get a, a lot of at-bats. He's had a good preseason. And in center field, we've got um, Andrew Baker, who's got a broken handmate right now, so he won't be able to swing the bat until the middle of March. And then you've got Blake Reese, um, who's had a really, really good fall swing the bat. And he's made a nice transition from shortstop out to center field. And then our best defensive outfielder by far is, is Nick Horvath. He's special out there, so we're going to have to play him a bunch too. It's going to be kind of tricky because obviously with uh, Andrew and um, and Nick, they're both two left-handed pitchers as well. So we're going to have to be creative in how we do the two-way thing. But I would expect Nick to play an awful lot. I would expect Blake Reese to play a lot and have those guys split some time early in the year. And and then obviously when Andrew gets healthy again in the middle of March, we'll you know we'll, we'll start running him out there as well. And going back to Blake, a, a guy that didn't even travel sometimes last year, so so the jump for him is probably pretty exciting for you. Yeah, you know, he put his head down and just grinded through it, and I know he wasn't real pleased and happy with, with some of the things that happened last year, but, you know, as, as a player, you've got one of two choices. You can take a step back and, and look at things and take it upon yourself to just get better, and, and that's what Blake did, or you can point your finger at other people and, and start making excuses, which which is something he did not do. So he handled it the right way. He got better. He's so, so much improved. You know, we knew he was going to be a good baseball player for us. We just, you know, just like some kids, it just takes a year. Sometimes it takes a little longer than that. Sometimes it takes less time than that. But we knew he was going to be a good baseball player. And like I said, he's, he's certainly earned the opportunity to get a lot of playing time here in the year. You mentioned uh, Baker and Langworthy and, and being two-way guys. Is that something you put an emphasis on in this recruiting class as well? Because it seems like there's a, a lot more than you normally have. Yeah, we have. Uh, you know, thinking ahead to next year's club and you know, club two years from now, maybe close to 10 or 11 two-way guys. Um, once again, we're looking for baseball players. And if you can find a guy that has that has the ability to do both here, even if he's your fifth outfielder or you know, fifth or sixth infielder, it just gives you more depth. It help, makes it easier to inter-squad because obviously we can't play any outside competition in the fall. Um, just gives you more bats. You just got more pitchers, guys that could throw more innings, and I think it just helps your club all the way around. We go back and uh, we talk about the competitive nature of Mike Rivera. When we turn our attention to the mound now, I don't know if anybody has more of that than, than Alex Faito. He's going to get the ball on Friday nights for you. Just to talk about him, the, the improvements that he's made, and um, just uh, the expectations for him this year. Well, you know, once again, I think anytime we have a Friday night guy in our in, in our program. There's high expectations both in the locker room, on the field, but obviously draft-wise as well. Alex has put himself in a position to where he's going to be one of the more high-profile pitchers in the country. Pitched on the USA team this summer, you know, beat Cuba. Tremendous, tremendous leader. Very hard worker. Terrific competitor. He's a, he's a fierce competitor. I love him. I'm glad he's here. I would hate to play against him you know, yeah. because I think he'd be really tough to beat. But he's, he's ready to take the ball on Friday nights, match up with some really outstanding, outstanding pitchers in our league. I don't know. Friday nights in our league are going to be really tough. you got Alex Lang at LSU. you got, you know, Hauk at Missouri. And you got South Carolina's got three very, very quality starters. And Vanderbilt's got right. And, you know, you go on and on about yeah. the, the quality arms in our league. But Alex is going to give us a chance every Friday night. And, um, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm glad he's here. I'm not having to compete against him. 
You got a couple of uh, sophomores there to round out the uh, the weekend rotation. Brady Singer, another great summer, goes up to Cape Cod and named the best prospect in, in what is the best summer league up there. I know he's throwing the ball really well in the fall and looks like Jackson Coors uh, healthy once again. Yeah, you know, Brady's had a you know, great spring as well and he's got dynamite stuff. He pitched the other night, he was 93 to 97 and heavy, heavy sink and, you know, great slider and developing change up and obviously Jackson the same way he pitched yesterday. He was the same, 93 to 96 and tremendous sinker on his, you know, on his fastball and slider is so much better. Obviously he's got that plus change up. So, you know, when you look at it, you know, we've got three probably first rounders on the weekend. You got all of them have a chance to be high, very high, high picks. I'm talking top five, top ten picks in the first round. So I'm not so concerned about our weekend rotation, obviously, but I, I, I do know that we need to do some work in the pen and we need to get some guys out there. But we certainly are capable. Um, it's just I think the biggest thing we have to get over is the youthfulness of our pen, and we got a bunch of freshmen that are going to have to contribute. It's bottom line. So we got to figure out who could do what, figure out who could pitch on the road early in the year, you know, those types of things. But we're, we're going to have to put some guys out in, you know, some stressful situations early in the year and see what they could do. So somebody uh, tweet out the other day that the floor is going to have the hardest throwing rotation in the history of college baseball. And certainly that's a good thing. You mentioned those 93 to 96, but now you get the right on right change ups and all these other things. So as, as you teach and you try to get some of these younger guys ready, what, what's, what's the approach? Is it more mental or is it about moving the ball around? Well, I think, you know, you try to recruit pitchers that, A, have the ability to come in or secondary before they come here. You know, we're not we're not recruiting guys off a radar gun. It's like if you, if you want to be in the lineup every day, you got to play defense here. That's just a point that is emphasized early on. And the other thing is pitching-wise, if you don't throw strikes, you don't pitch. That's, but it's just that simple. And if you can't slow the ball down, then you're going to have a very difficult time starting here, um, regardless of how hard you throw. So uh, I think that demands that we place on the pitchers and the expectations are made very very clear early in the fall and we want quick pace we want you know the ability to command a fastball to both sides you know be able to slow the ball down change up break the ball for strikes you got to be able to throw your secondary pitches for strikes and fastball counts holding runners feeling your position the whole thing and those expectations are laid out very very clearly in early september and um you know i think once the players know exactly what you expect i think it's a lot easier to you know to have that type of success like we've had so I don't know if you have a designated closer this year. Which not not sure if you need to have, but you know, as you talk about guys finishing the games, you know, we, we've seen mentality-wise. Sean Anderson, he was a, he was a bulldog and had so many nice guys o- over the years. Is there anybody, or is it an audition at the beginning, or you just maybe go through the year without one of those? Well, I, I, you know, ideally, you'd like to end up with one guy you trust. I, I think early in the year, I think here for the first four weeks, anyways, I think we'll play a lot of matchups. Lefty righties. Um, I think Frank Rubio is a guy that can get right-handers out, especially from the slot he throws from. And I do like Andrew Baker. Uh, I've, I've said that all along. I, I like his mentality. Um, obviously, he's only a freshman, so you know we're gonna have to figure it out. But he certainly has the stuff. He's left-handed. He can feel the position. He's a tremendous athlete. He's got some deception. So we'll try to use him early in the year, maybe towards the back end of the game. But certainly Frank Rubio as well. A lot of uh, buzz going into this, and do you talk about that to the guys, or is it just about, hey, go out and execute and do your job? Well, we've been through this quite a few times now. I mean, the expectations here are to get to Omaha and win a national championship, and um, it's not something we talk about every day. It's, it's it's your program. This is the culture that we've we've been able to develop here, and you know, I, I think everybody that comes into our program understands that without it even being said. I feel like we have one of the best programs in the entire country. I'm not bashful enough to say that. I think our success is. That's kind of proven out on the field. We've got the best record in the SEC in the last nine years as far as the conference games are concerned. And we've been to Omaha five out of the last seven years. We've been in national seats seven of the nine years we've been here. And I think players 
want to come here because the expectations are high. And, you know, we don't talk a whole lot about it because, you know, I think the, the play on our field kind of speaks for itself. And I don't think this year is going to be any different. Looking forward to it. We'll obviously have uh, tons of fun this uh, entire season. Thank you. Yeah, you got it, Jeff. It's, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I really like this group. And, you know, we, you know, if we stay healthy and play our best baseball, you know, throughout the year and especially towards the end, I think we've got a good, as good a shot as anybody. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Remember to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review so we can continue to grow. Join us next week for an all-new episode of Gator Tales as we'll delve further into what Johnny Boone's injury means to the basketball team and more. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you at the MAC.